It's a real privilege to have Pastor Pete here this morning to share the word with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's, a, it's truly my privilege to be back. Um, it, uh, I've, I've been here uh, a couple of other times, but you wouldn't have known it because it was during COVID. And so that, uh, that just kind of shut things down for us. But, um, but it is a, a joy to be back here. Um, just by, by, as far as an introduction, and you can do the math, but uh, uh, my wife and I, Doreen, uh, just recently went back to my hometown, upstate New York. And um, it was my 50th high school reunion. Uh, that's difficult to say because I'm not that old, but apparently I am. Interesting to say enough, but, you know, it, we were there to reconnect with uh, the 66 other people in my senior class. It was an incredibly small school up in farm country. And, um, and it was, the year was 1973. Uh, Honestly, when I walked into the, to the, the reunion, I, um, I didn't recognize people. I looked around and I said, who are you? With the wrinkles and the bald heads. Sorry, Keith. And, and, the, and, and, and I, I just was amazed. And then I heard them speak or I heard them laugh and I recognized the voice. And it was so good to connect with them and to, and to uh, you know, they're, they're lifelong friends, honestly. We just picked up where we left off, and it was a lot of great memories. It was 13 years after I graduated in 1973 that God called me into the ministry from teaching. And uh, in that process, uh, I actually ended my teaching career um, in June and did not know what I was going to be doing in the fall. Um, I told my principal that uh, we would not be going, um, we would not just uh, ignore that man on the stage. <laughs> okay. We're getting feedback? Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and so as we were... Um, as I was uh, uh, learning how to become a youth pastor here under the auspices of, of Gary Finn, Pastor Gary Finn, um, I, I had a huge learning curve because there was, there was so much that I needed to understand, so much that I needed to learn, and so much I needed to grow in. I was 30 years old. I had two small children, Doug and Jeanette. Um, and um, I was the first person to live in the house over at first base uh, across the field. In fact, um, uh, Paul Jensen and I became fast lifetime friends, best friends, uh, putting the tile in the upstairs bathroom, uh, helping to finish off that house so that we could move into it. As I've met uh, a couple of you that I've known from back then, you haven't changed a bit. And, uh, and it's just so good to see you again. It's, it's wonderful. I, I had the privilege of coming during COVID and um, uh, preached to an empty sanctuary. I mean, uh, David was here, but uh, 
and recording it so that it could be broadcast. But uh, that was a, a very different experience. And then I also had the opportunity to um, also during COVID to do the committal service for Sid Williams uh, in the old cemetery behind the old church. That was um, a difficult time uh, simply because um, Sid was just such a, a big part of our lives uh, at the time that we were here. He just, uh, he was an amazing man and blessed, and he and his wife blessed so many. Well, this morning, I'd like to bring a message uh, entitled, Five Convictions of a Christian Citizen. I would encourage you to take notes simply because uh, there's no one main passage that we're working through, but there are many that we're going to be that I'm going to be mentioning. You may want to jot them down so that you can go through them later. Um, I, I encourage that uh, all the time of my congregation in Port Jefferson. I was in I was the pastor in Port Jefferson for 12 years and uh, retired as of uh, April uh, from pastoring and preaching. And so now God has me, I guess, as a, as a circuit preacher or something of that sort. So we're trying to figure that out as we go. But, um, but I, I thought that this message would be in particular appropriate because I believe, and, um, and there's a lot of different opinion about this, but I believe that our country is in trouble. And I believe that we have, as a nation have lost our convictions. And we as Christians even have lost our convictions or set them aside or at best given up on them. So I'd like to encourage you this morning with five convictions that we need as Christians and as citizens of this great country. And, there, and I'm going to list them right up front so that you know what's coming. Alright, the first conviction is our first allegiance belongs to God. Our first allegiance belongs to God. Number two, the government authority must be obeyed. I believe that's a biblical mandate. Number three, doing good does more good than the words I say. Number four, prayer for all leaders is vitally important. And number five, our light shines the brightest, the darker that it gets. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Father, that you have established a standard in life and living. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it as well, to, to live it out and to be uh, the disciples, to be the people of God that you have called us to be. And I pray, Lord, that you would use our giftings and our abilities to be able to accomplish this. So would you guide us in this study this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking this morning about blending our faith with our walk and how we can better do that. So let's get started. Number one, the first conviction. Our first allegiance belongs to God. That's got to be the established uh, position that we take right away. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. We will only be good citizens in the kingdom of man if we identify ourselves in the kingdom of God. We will only be good citizens in the kingdom of man if we identify ourselves in the kingdom of God. And the, the, the citizen, the idea of a citizen is someone who gives allegiance to and receives protection from a given authority. Our first and foremost authority is God and his word. That's our identity in the kingdom of God. The laws of the land may be open to providing rights and privileges to society like abortion and homosexuality, but we need to align ourselves with God's priorities and statutes and call sin, sin. If we don't hold to God's standards, then all other standards collapse. The stance that we take when confronted with a social or political topic needs to have been reflected in the Scriptures. When pastoring in Port Jeff these past 12 years, I was approached by a prominent citizen in the village and asked this very direct and pointed question. If a gay couple asked you to marry them, would you? And I thought, wow, well, there, there you have it. That's, uh, that's a direct question. And this person, uh, I think, deserved a direct response. And so I simply said, uh, the Word of God would tell me no. The Word of God would allow me to to make that distinction, make that understanding with the, uh, with the idea that I'm, I'm going to follow after what God says in His Word rather than what society is, the direction that society is moving. Um, I, I don't have an issue. We, we had uh, several gay men in our, that were at the uh, shelter up in Port Jeff Station coming to our church, and we were counseling them and working with them. And they attended on a regular basis, hearing the Word of God every week. And I believe that there was uh, an opportunity for them to grow and to understand uh, the principles of God. But, um, but that is not something that I could compromise in. Billy Graham, very often in his lifetime, would field questions like that. And much more difficult questions like that. And every time, if you go back through and find those recordings, you hear him say simply, the Word of God says, the Bible says, God's commandment to us is, and it establishes God as the authority over all things. So that's the first conviction. The second is, government authority must be obeyed. Now, you're saying, wait a minute, Pete, you just said. Well, government authority is important to understand that we have a position under the authority of our leaders. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So you, if you can imagine that there's an authority umbrella God is establishing his authority and his protection 
and, uh, and placing these leaders under that authority. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. There's no wiggle room here. There's no room to getting around this command as long as it doesn't contradict the first conviction. This command means we have to follow the laws of the land. It applies at all levels, federal, state, and local. And there's a number of temptations to disobey this conviction. Speed limits. Yeah, I'm not good on that one. Um, town ordinances, building codes, taxes. Um, whether you agree with the president or not, we're called by God to conform to the laws of the land as long as it doesn't contradict God's laws. And our greatest weapon in this battle is prayer. The greatest opportunity that we have to affect change is through prayer. Obey our government leaders, but pray for them. Pray for their convictions. Pray for their salvation, that they would come to Christ. God can do this. God can do far more through our prayers than through our complaints. Having said that, it seems combative, contradictory to our society, and potentially volatile to, the, to obey God and government. How are we to do this? Using the Word of God as a lens, we look at the society we live and work in. But we're to combine this hard stance, doing the things that are right and true, with doing the things that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Micah 6.8 is my favorite verse. It's my life verse. And it gives us a clue in how to live in this dichotomy. And it simply says, what does God require of us but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God? The third conviction. Doing good does more good than the words I say. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 Peter 2, verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Do you know any foolish people? I think sometimes uh, I'm in that category. And I think sometimes that's the only people I know. Except for, of course, my wife. One of the principal characteristics of a fool is their loud tongue. Proverbs tells us that even a fool is considered wise when he holds his tongue. 
we can all become brash and, and share our opinions too loudly. And pride is also a characteristic of a fool, becoming too full of our own thoughts and opinions so as not to consider anyone else. God teaches us how we are to use our words. In Proverbs 15, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, also, Proverbs 12.25, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 16.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Our words are important. And then finally, Proverbs 25.11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Using our words wisely, they can tend to cut down more quickly than build up. It's been said that one harsh word requires seven authentic, genuine, kind words to undo its damage. But even in that, our actions speak louder than words. Peter tells us that by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We can be drawn in by foolish people, can't we? We can become like them. We can often engage them in strong words, leaving a bad taste in their mouths. I, I know I'm tempted to fight fire with fire. But that leads them to believe that all Christians want to do is argue. It's easier to argue with non-believers than to show good things to them. Three things that uh, Christians do, I believe, with non-believers instead of doing good is, is they withdraw, or they criticize, or they antagonize. Instead, Peter tells us to do good. And it takes self-control, it takes intention, and it takes focus. Jeff was at my reunion just a couple of weeks ago. Everyone at the reunion knows Jeff. He makes an impression. From high school days, he was the loud, he was the raucous, he was the in-your-face guy. He had a better story than anything else you could tell him. And Doreen and I met him earlier in the day at a pre-party at a friend's house, and we were on our way to the actual reunion that night, and we were saying in the car as we were pulling in, I hope Jeff's not here. <laughs> I really do. Uh, we've pretty much had enough of Jeff already. And we walked into the banquet hall a couple of minutes late, and um, there were two seats left right next to Jeff. God is, God is good, isn't he? <laughs> he gives us just what we need. Um, I'm sure you've been in similar situations, but I, I had a choice. I, I did. I, I had a choice of turning my chair away from him completely, um, uh, plus the fact that he'd been drinking all day. He was yelling in my ear. And, and he would lean in 
when he had something to say and would talk just after he had taken a bite. I had little pieces of pork and corn all over me uh, by the end of the meal. But God was with me. I can honestly say it was God because it wasn't what would, what would have raised up from within me. It took self-control, it took intention, it took focus to be Jeff's friend that night. It would have been so much easier to just shut down, to turn away, to withdraw. But God gave me the grace to do good. It's a choice. It's an absolute choice. So our five convictions. Our first is our first allegiance belongs to God. The second is government authority must be obeyed. Third is doing good does more good than the words I say. And the next conviction of a Christian citizen is number four. Prayer for all leaders is vitally important. Prayer for all leaders. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 it says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. But then it goes on. And it says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So I have a question for you. In the last 365 days, have you said more public words of criticism or private words of prayer for our leaders? One of the most clear and specific statements in the, in the New Testament is that we should be asking God for wisdom, for guidance, and help to change the hearts of all the leaders that are over us. There's no distinction between good and bad leaders in the Word of God. Pray for our leaders. Praying for the leaders over us is the single most powerful thing that you can do in the political arena today. I truly believe that. Prayer can, be a, can accomplish more than, a, than anything that we do on the picket lines. Though it seems like a daunting task to have the faith that God can do more for our social and political issues than any human effort, it, it comes down to what God can do through faithful people that pray. Prayer brings us closer to the heart of God and His purposes, and He is the better change agent for our leaders. God can do it. It seems like we're in such a dark place and going deeper as a country. But, and this brings us to our last conviction, our light shines the brightest the darker it gets. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it seems like the Christian faith thrives when it's the minority. 
You've seen uh, reports of what is happening in China and in Korea. You've seen um, reports from missionaries and heard reports from, uh, from uh, African nations that are under tremendous uh, persecution and the Christian coalitions in those countries just seem to be stronger and stronger and stronger. There's never been a greater opportunity for the light of Jesus to shine in our communities than right now. Our trust isn't in the stars and stripes, but it's in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it gets better or it gets worse, we win either way because Jesus already won. We need to keep this truth at the forefront of our minds in the midst of this political and social climate. Darkness has to flee when the light comes in. So may our responses to what is happening with our nation drive us to our knees and cause us to cry out to God Almighty for His help and His direction in our lives. Having said all of this, and believing what I've just said, I'd like to challenge us this morning to, to do something. Uh, I was always a very interactive youth pastor. Uh, I always wanted to get the kids engaged in doing something rather than just sitting and listening. You've been sitting long enough. So I'm going to encourage you now to group up into groups of, I don't know, three to six people. Um, and just very naturally where you're sitting or move around so that you can include some others because we're going to pray this morning. We're going to have, take the opportunity to, to literally pray together and ask God for His work. And uh, we're going to use the acrostic acts. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And I'll be you know, cueing you on when to move on to the next section. I would encourage you if, uh, if, if as you get into your groups, if, if you want to just have one person pray for that particular section, or you can do popcorn prayer, you know, just a sentence or a phrase, and then let others pray within your circle, within that particular section. We're going to start out with adoration. And, uh, and we're going to just use the rest of our, our time to be able to, to come before God as a congregation and, and just bring praise and honor to Him first and foremost and then to move through uh, to confession, thanksgiving, and supplication where we're asking God for those things that we want to ask Him for. So this could be in light of our country, it could also be in light of where you're at right now. And I, I would like you to please keep Stephen in mind because he's going in for procedures uh, coming up this week, over the course of this week, you mentioned. And so please, uh, in, those, in that time of supplication, I'll remind you once again uh, for that particular request. So would you just stand up and group up or maybe you're already in a group right where you are people in front of you people behind you uh, just get with uh, several other people so that you can have this time of prayer together i'll give you just a moment to do that
your attention on expressing your love for him, praise his power and his majesty. And this is a great way to begin your prayer time. Uh, sometimes I just thank him for creation. And uh, Psalm 66.3 says, How awesome, God, are your deeds. Let's pray. Grace, thank you for your wisdom and your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us so deeply that we can't even imagine or express back to you that love. Thank you, Father. And now is a time of confession. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Tell him, just, just pray and tell him, you don't have to talk in specifics, but just, just express what God brings to your heart right now that you would like to, to just express to him. And uh, tell him where you've fallen short. Perhaps it's in complaining about our leaders more than praying for them. Or... Perhaps it's something else. Let's, let's bring a time of confession before the Lord. Heavenly Father, these confessions come from our heart, from a heart that's, uh, that is sinful, uh, apart from your forgiveness and your grace. And Father, we, we give ourselves to you and we thank you for the ways that you have worked in and through our lives. And I pray, Lord, that those sins that so easily beset us would, um, would be released and that we would have the conviction to come to you each time we feel that temptation. Heal us, Father, we pray. Guide our time and help us to understand you more and more. And now go to a, a time of thanksgiving, giving him glory, uh, praising him, being thankful to him. Thank him for his love, his faithfulness, his patience. Thank him for this nation, our leaders, our freedoms, and a million other things. Just go to him with thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, thank you for just the amazing things that you do in and through our lives on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit indwelling us and never leaving. Thank you, Father, for your conscience, your counselor, and that still small voice. We give you praise and glory and thanksgiving. And now, finally, the Bible says, make your requests known to God. Tell just mention to God what things are on your mind. What things did you wake up with this morning that were troubling you? What things are persistent? Uh, there's nothing too big for God the Creator. Let's bring our supplication to Him, our requests. And pray for our elected officials. Pray for your boss, your supervisor, your coworker. If you're the boss, pray for your team and your workers. And pray for your family. Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And Father, you, you have uh, moved in us and you have instructed us. You've gifted us in particular ways. You have 
given us, Father, uh, families and friends and, and jobs and, and responsibility. You give us purpose. Thank you, Father, that there are so many ways that you have uh, moved in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that, that all of the details are for you. All of the ways that, that, uh, that we need to move forward in our lives, Father, all of the decision-making, all, all of the questioning and the wondering, Lord, that's all in your care. And we rest in you. Our peace is in you. And we thank you, Father, for moving in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Father, would you bless this congregation, this church? Would you put your anointing over it, Father? Would it be a, may it be a, a, a beacon and a light to this community? And Father, may you work in and through each member here, each member of the body of Christ that exists in this place. Father, would you use their talents and abilities in harmony to accomplish all that you desire to do. We give you praise and glory for you can do it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.